It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Thanks for being here on another Smart Money Questions podcast. Walter Storholt here alongside Matt Hausman, the founder of Old Security Group, with an office in Westchester, PA, Newark, Delaware, but serving clients all across the country. You can find out more about us online by going to smartmoneyquestions.com and submit your questions to info at smartmoneyquestions.com. Matt, hope things are going well for you as we record this podcast nearing the end of tax season. I know a lot of people will be relieved to eventually be on the other side of that. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they're going to be relieved if they got to pay, right? <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I guess it, I, I'm coming at it with my own personal perspective this year. I finally don't owe for one year. I, I paid enough in quarterly taxes ahead of time to... Uh, I was oh, di- well, good for you. I was disciplined enough to where I actually get a refund this year, so it's exciting. <laughs> First time since high school. <laughs> Hopefully not a big refund. We don't want to get a big refund from the Fed. Right, right. right. Yeah, that's not really a reason to get excited, right? <laughs> You're giving free <laughs> that's a loans. A hundred dollars, that's good, but hopefully it's not more than that. Yeah, yeah, no, not not too bad. Pretty, pretty much on target, which is a good thing. So. Well, good deal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we get into the meat and potatoes of today's podcast, which is answering your questions, it is Smart Money Questions after all, we want to make sure that you understand what smart money questions actually means, because Matt, you kind of had a, a funny thing happen the other day where somebody was, what, afraid to ask a question because they didn't know if it met the bar of a smart money question. And that's that's the opposite of what we want people to think, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's actually smart to ask the question. We don't want to you know, we don't want to be fearful of what that question might, how that might reflect on us. It's kind of like back in the day when, you know, when we were all in school, we didn't want to raise our hand and ask the question in front of the, all of our friends yes. in the event that God forbid that the teacher would look at us like, uh, Matt, we just address that, you know, <laughs> by the way, that happened often. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm right in that boat too. You were daydreaming. Yeah, we, the worst is yeah. when you're daydreaming and someone asks a question and then you get called on or you need to then ask a question and you ask the exact same thing somebody <laughs> literally just asked and it's just that's the worst <laughs> i can tell you you know it's funny you say that i i'll never forget this as you know i grew up down in florida and you know some of the buildings that we were in the air conditioning wasn't up to the par of where it should be and i was in english class it was fourth period and it was um, right before lunch so I was hungry and I had literally fallen asleep on my desk and somebody asked a question and the teacher wanted me to answer it. Oh, no. <laughs> it, it went, it went from bad to worse, didn't it? Oh, yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Oh, Needless to say, I didn't fall asleep again. I brought some snacks so I didn't have to wait till lunch. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that being said, just remember that we want you to ask questions, period, here on the show. And uh, just asking questions, is what that's the smart part of this. So don't think that it has to be a smart question by any means. We hope the answers are nice and smart for you, but the questions Correct. can be any uh, in any old variety. We're happy to take them. We've got a few good questions to feature on this week's podcast. Let's jump right in as we hop over to North Carolina and get a question from Mark. Mark says... I'm selling my house soon, Matt, and we'll be downsizing to a smaller home now that our kids are grown and gone. I'll get enough money from the sale of our current home that I could pay cash for our next one. Should I do that or just have a mortgage on the new home since interest rates are still pretty low? Mark, that's a great question, and that's one that I get often. And 
There's a couple other additional questions I would probably ask to see if that makes sense. And that is, if you don't go ahead and pay cash for that next home, what are you going to do with the excess money? You know, are you going to invest it? And what's going to be the mortgage payment? And what's that mortgage payment going to look like? And how is it going to affect your overall retirement budget? Because that is, you know, we don't want to, uh, the idea of just because rates are low, we want to use someone else's money when we have an asset that we're able to, we've paid off and now we can go into a downsize and hopefully in the downsizing, you can maybe still pay cash and have extra money to do something with. It could be that that's not the case, but there's a couple other things that you really want to look at before, okay, I'm going to go out and just get a mortgage because interest rates are so low, which they are low. They're still historically low, but a couple other things that you want to think about most importantly, okay, if I get a mortgage, what am I going to go do with that excess money? Am I going to invest it? Am I going to go on a vacation? You know, what's the mindset behind that? And then if I do decide to get a mortgage, what's that mortgage payment going to look like? And how does it affect my cash flow? All important pieces of information, I guess, to figure out. Downsizing, Matt, I would imagine that's a pretty common conversation that you end up having in the office with folks. Absolutely. And what we've seen is usually, I, I think of a couple clients right now, the idea is I'm definitely going to downsize, I'm definitely going to downsize, and I'm definitely going to downsize. But then when it comes time to actually doing that, then I've only had a couple clients actually do it. And they, they realized I had one client in particular that when they started to look around and what they were looking for, first of all, they realized that in downsizing, they were going to be about even. So they were losing floor space, so to speak, but the cost was the same. So they were hoping to downsize and have some extra money left over. But because of the price of real estate, they weren't, they weren't experiencing that. Then the other thing is, and quite frankly, what this same couple told me is they realized that where they were looking to downsize and they were looking to move is that we would have to go reestablish our entire network. We would, you know, we'd obviously have to find new friends. We'd have to find a new church. We'd have to find new doctors and dentists and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, you know, we just don't think we want to do that. You know, we've, we've been here for so long and we've developed our network that, uh, we want to keep it. And that's when, again, okay, so now let's look at possibly downsizing local. And that's when they realized that the price of real estate had gone up a little bit further than they thought. And we might as well keep the house that's offering us everything that we already like. So they haven't done it. But I have had a couple that, have, that do it, but it's a very common conversation at least to have. Absolutely. And it's a good question, Mark. I mean, that again is an example of a kind of question where some people might think, oh, this isn't, this is a dumb question. You know, I'm just, I'm just downsizing. I, I should just decide and go with it. I shouldn't really ask these questions. No, these are the kinds of questions you got to ask. They come in all shapes, sizes, and varieties. And Matt, happy to filter uh, the answers and answer them all for you here on the program. So real, hey, Walter, really here's, good a, one, here's one for you. Yeah, go for it. I hate to interrupt you there. I, I just thought about this. My wife and I just had the conversation of downsizing. Really? Okay. Very good. Yeah. we And I think I might have mentioned that maybe just briefly, but yeah, because our youngest is a sophomore in high school. A couple more years, she's gone to college. And my wife's been wanting to do the downstairs and new kitchen and all the bathroom, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. And my thought was, well, there's no reason to put the money into this house if you're going to tell me in two years you want to downsize to one of those brand new you know, townhouses around the corner. 
And so we yeah. went through that conversation and decided, you know, we like where we are. Let's just go ahead and, and plan on staying here and not looking to downsize anytime soon. So, so she's getting her kitchen. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. But that's the great example. I mean, my grandparents are in their 80s and having this conversation. You are not anywhere close to your 80s. We won't reveal, you know, exact ages here on the program. But <laughs> you, you guys are having this conversation at a much younger age as well. So it happens all throughout the spectrum. It's a very, very common situation. So good question, Mark. Thanks for that one. If you'd like to submit questions, again, just email info at smartmoneyquestions.com or submit it through the website, smartmoneyquestions.com. Our next question comes to us from Lynn in Pennsylvania. Lynn says, I've always assumed that it's better to work with a big financial company because they presumably have so many resources compared to a smaller independent office. What would be the reason for working with a smaller company? Wow, Lynn, that's a great question. I get that one often, wouldn't you think? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And you know, usually, and I, I literally just had this conversation probably about 30 minutes ago with a couple that was in my office and, and they actually came to me about this was they had spoke to two other, quite frankly, very large firms and national presence. And they were thinking that idea of larger resources that would give them better opportunities with their money. And they actually realized this and they mentioned it to me that those particular people that they were speaking to there were restricted on what they could really offer them because he had some particular ideas. He's been doing his research and there's certain things that he wanted to be able to incorporate into the planning and implementation process and they informed him that they were not allowed to do that. His question, well, why is that? Well, mainly because they have to adhere to the rules that the big firms put on all of their advisors. Where an independent firm, as we are, and by the way, all independent firms aren't small, but an independent firm many times can do everything that the large companies can do. And in many cases, especially nowadays with technology, they can have the same resources, but because they're independent and most of them are going to work in a fiduciary capacity, they have the opportunity to offer you a much more holistic plan and give you opportunities that many of those big firms can't offer. So that's where I think there's a big difference. Now, some people want the big name and, you know, that's something you need to feel comfortable with. But when you look at what the real difference is, most of the big firms and a lot of this has to do with licensing and compliance and the way they're licensed, either with the SEC or with FINRA, is that they're restricted on what they can do. And that not only in, is the advisor that is, say, here in Pennsylvania, but it's the advisor that's down in Florida hmm. or the advisor that's in Texas if they're with the same firm. They're, there's restrictions there versus an independent firm is going to give you more options and have a more holistic opportunity for you and be able to implement more parts of the plan because of that independence. It's funny, Matt, that question comes in many shapes and forms. Sometimes it might sound like, should I work with a firm that has lots of resources and employees and, you know, the big name and that kind of thing at its disposal versus a smaller, more intimate one? And then sometimes it just gets boiled down to the simplest of things. Is it good to work with a big company or a small one? <laughs> and I think that's right. what <laughs> Lynn was getting at the crux of all those different questions, wasn't she? Absolutely. 
Yeah. So it's a good question, Lynn. Thank you for submitting that one to us as well here on Smart Money Questions. One more for the week. It'll come to us from Carrie. Carrie's in Florida. Says, my husband and I met with a financial advisor, and he said he wouldn't work with us unless we committed to live on a budget. It's just something that we're not interested in doing. We're fine with our expenses. We've been like that for the past 35 years of our marriage. Do all advisors have rules and limitations like that? Wow, Carrie, that's going to be a question I'm going to dig in a little bit more. And the first thing I would want to know is it sounds like if you're not willing to be on a budget or at least discuss what the financial needs are, that the spending that you're doing is more than the income and the assets that you have. So the advisor is wanting, quote, to be on a budget more for your protection than just to, quote, be a stickler on having a budget. So what are the other reasons why that person would be asking you to be on that budget? In terms of do all advisors have rules and limitations like that, I'm I'm pretty sure I can say no, not all advisors are going to are going to do that, but most advisors are or at least I believe they should go through the process of helping a client because quite frankly what you're saying Carrie is accurate. Many of us in our working years we're not living on a budget. You know, we we know what some of our expenses are. We probably couldn't do it off the I know I couldn't. I couldn't just do it off the top of my head, but we're in our earning years. So we've got paychecks coming in every other week or every week, depending on, you know, the husband gets paid every other week and the and the wife is on the opposite schedule. So there's always money coming in. So you haven't had to really go through, quote, an ironclad budget. But the idea now is the paycheck is stopped. And so we might only have pension we, and Social Security, pension if we're lucky. And then we just have the assets that we've accumulated over our lifetime. And how is that drawdown going to look based on what our spending habit is? So there's a couple other things. I would always tell you that having an idea on what the living needs are is the beginning of a good and sound distribution and financial plan for you. And it's really for, you know, for your good and for your safety to make sure you don't run out of money. Always helpful information, I think, to get feedback from somebody, Matt, who's willing to give you some pushback, who's willing to push you out of your comfort zone a little bit. That should be the mission of your financial advisor is not somebody who's a yes man, but somebody who's going to kind of help, I, I guess, just put give you a different way of thinking that might be more beneficial for you in the long term. Now, whether those things get set as you know, a set in stone rule, if you don't do this, then we're not going to work together. I'd imagine that varies quite a bit comparing on what advisor you're working with, but at least you've got somebody who it sounds like is willing to, you know, stand their ground on something they think is really important for your financial health and future. Yeah. And, and like I said, I, I believe that person is doing it in what they believe is, is for your good and for your protection long-term. Yeah. I mean, there wouldn't um, be any actually, other reason to, you know, do correct. that, right? <laughs> Yeah. And Walter, what you said is really, I think we could expand on that. And the idea of an advisor is someone that should, I believe, help change or at least give you another view. You're looking from a different lens, have a paradigm shift. I met with someone yesterday and and as we were talking and she was with a large firm, we were talking about large firms earlier, and she had some questions and and I was answering those questions. But then I went on and I asked more quite, well, have you thought about this? Well, what are you going to do about what's over here? Well, you know that this is what's coming down. 
And her comment back is like, wow, I, I guess I had never thought about that. And my response, well, your other advisor hasn't mentioned this and, and no. And then she let me know why I haven't even met with my other advisor in a couple of years. You know, well, I think that's a problem. When you think about what you said, it's really important for people to recognize you want someone and hopefully you can, and they're doing it in a tactful way, but you want someone that can constantly be able to have that rubber meets the road discussion with you. Yeah. I think that's ultimately really, really important. So tell me a little bit about you, Matt, how you operate, where your level of pushback is, and where you see that in its role of putting together an overall financial plan. In terms of, you mean where a budget fits in? Well, no, not just budget, but just in anything, where you where you see that role of uh, pushback happening with, with clients, how often you're having to do it, how often it comes up when you're putting together a, a financial plan, what, where are some of those uh, you know critical points where you have to often say to folks, hey, this is where I'm going to disagree with you. Where do you find yourself disagreeing with clients that it requires that kind of communication? I, I wouldn't necessarily say disagree with the client, but one of the things that you know, I, I find myself, especially in times like we've had over the first quarter, there's market volatility. And that is the coaching through the process of where some of the monies are invested. Not all of the monies, but some of the monies are invested where we're going to see some volatility and coaching someone through that idea of, oh my goodness, I want to get out or, you know, oh my gosh, take money out of here and put it over there. Those type of things. Or, on the flip side, I've had other clients that I've met with, and when the market was going real well last year, and we were wanting to take money that is specifically there, let's say for a business purpose or for an emergency fund, and we th want to throw it into the market because we've heard the market is doing well. The pushback has come, no, that's not what that money's for. That money is not for investing. That money is specifically over here for an emergency fund, or I've got some business owners, that money there is specific in the event business runs into a cash flow problem. And so that's not money that we would invest. So it's kind of, I don't want to say pushback, but it, it's the coaching someone through the process to look at, you know, let's make sure we're looking at it from all angles and don't just concern ourselves with this one view that even though we might think it's a hundred percent right, you know, I was listening to a podcast the other day and it was on a it was on a business coach and his comment was talking about the importance of questions and he said one of the questions i always start he actually schedules what he calls thinking time and his question was what am i missing and we can even think about that in financial planning or the client what am i missing okay matt i want to put all my money in the market right now but what am I missing? Well, you're missing the fact that, you know, that money wasn't there when we first sat down and we were putting and implementing your plan. That money wasn't there for investment purposes. That money was there for business purposes or emergency fund purposes or, you know, going on a vacation or something like that. And we want to make sure we're mindful of that. So, you know, it's those different areas, I would say, as to the discussions I have with with clients that rubber meets the road talk. Yeah. Does it make sense? It does. It does make a lot of sense. So I think that that puts a nice bow on the conversation. Just understand that sometimes it's good to have 
those kinds of conversations and that pushback from your advisor. So if you've got a question like Carrie did or Lynn or Mark, and you have concerns about maybe your own financial plan or situation, you want to run them by Matt, here are the best ways to do it. If you'd like to have your question featured on the show, you can submit that online through smartmoneyquestions.com or email Matt at info at smartmoneyquestions.com. You can use those ways to also get in touch with Matt if you just want to have a one-on-one conversation about your plan, so you don't have to feature your question here on the program. You can also call Matt at 610-719-3003. That's 610-719-3003. He not only meets with clients in his offices in Westchester and Newark, Delaware, but also all across the country digitally. Matt's got clients in all sorts of different states across the U.S., so he can certainly talk to you a little bit about whatever situation you might be in. 610-719-3003 is the number, or smartmoneyquestions.com. Again, the place to go to tap into all those other great resources that are there. The blog gets posted there as well, as well as past podcasts that you can listen to. Lots of great information for you to delve into. Matt, as always, thanks for the help. We'll talk to you on the next podcast, man. Sounds great. All right. And uh, also coming up uh, on a future podcast, we're going to be talking very importantly about Investor Awareness a Month. That is what we are going to call the month of April. Some of the things that you need to be aware of when it comes to investing and making sure that you're not a distracted investor. That's going to be the key. We're going to talk about that coming up on future podcast as well. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time on Smart Money Questions. Smart Money Questions.